partner. Appreciate it, man. God bless you. Good to see you today. Everybody good? Fantastic. Welcome to Kavanaugh Church. I'm glad that, uh, that you decided to be here today. And I know the Lord is here. And God is faithful. I tell you what, you can depend on Him. People let you down. All right? uh, I hate to say it, but, but over a course of time, I'm going to let you down. God never does. Amen? Isn't that great? And I know He's going to speak to your hearts today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning. I've been preaching a summer series on the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. I really didn't expect it to go this long. Today is, is uh, parable number six that we're going to look at, and I've got a couple of more <laughs> in mind that I want to preach. So uh, fall or summer may turn into fall, all right? And there's a lot of parables that may turn into winter. I don't know. Uh, but I'm excited to preach from Luke chapter 15 today. Here's the cool thing about uh, Luke's Gospel. There are three parables that Jesus spoke in Luke and they're all three about the same thing. You know what that tells me? This subject is important to God. If Jesus told three parables about the exact same thing, we need to listen. Here, here's a trifold effect on the important things in the heart of God. And we have them right here in Luke chapter 15. My sermon today is entitled, God Looks for Those Who Are Lost. And he does. He looks for lost people. We read about that. Luke chapter 15, verse number 1. We're actually going to look at the first two parables in Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors, oh, we know about those guys, don't we? Uh, we learned about them last week. They, they were considered scumbags by the rest of the Jewish society. They had uh, aligned themselves with the Roman government. Uh, they would collect the taxes for the Roman government from their fellow Jews, and then they would add a little bit to it to pad their own pockets. And so all the Jews hated tax collectors. They were scum, say scumbags. They were exact, they, they were scum. I don't know if anything's changed with tax collectors. And through, yeah, I hope none of y'all are tax collectors. That's, that's pretty bad, isn't it? All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus. Now, let, let me try to describe sinners to you. That was an umbrella term that, that talked about people who were kind of lowlifes, all right? Uh, think of the worst possible thing that you can think of as a sinner, and that encompasses this word. You, you know what a sinner is, don't you? Look in a mirror. Eh? We've all sinned, haven't we, and fallen short of the glory of God. But these were really the, the lowlifes. He, he's talking about uh, con artists. He's talking about thieves and murderers. Uh, he's talking about prostitutes and those who hire prostitutes. These are the real low lives of society. And guess what? All of them were flocking around Jesus. The verse says they came to Jesus to hear him speak. And I don't know what it was, but Jesus had this magnetic uh, effect on people, especially those who were looking for something. And they were looking for answers to life's problems. And they found the answer in Jesus Christ. So here are all these tax collectors and all these sinners, and they have gathered around Jesus. Verse number two, and the Pharisees. Oh, we know about those guys too, don't we? The Pharisees and the scribes, they were, they were the church folks of the day. And what were they doing? What's the word? They were complaining. That's what church people do. All right? They were complaining. But what, they, what were they complaining about? They complained saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and he even eats with them. 
Not only does he fellowship with them, he eats with them. He's hanging out with the lowlifes, with the scumbags. We don't want anything to do with this Jesus guy because he's hanging out with people who live under the bridge. And I don't know, that kind of did something to Jesus. So he told them three parables. He gave them three life stories. And here's the first one, right? So he spoke this parable to them saying, What man of you, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that lost one and searches for him until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found that one sheep that was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Can you say, wow? Wow. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a candle and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls all of her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found that one lost coin that I was searching for. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. Lord, help us today. Help us to see the heart of God. Help us to realize that, that the most distinguishing characteristic about our Heavenly Father is that He loves lost people and he is searching them out today. I pray that, dear Lord, as your Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, if we are away from you, I pray that today we'll come back home. Help me as I preach, Lord. Speak through me the words of life. And as I try to speak on the outside, may the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On a warm September afternoon, Patsy Wheat left her two-year-old son, Jay, playing on the carport. He, he wasn't alone. Uh, he was out there with his eight-year-old sister and his five-year-old brother. Her husband, Harold, was a long-distance truck driver. He was not due in until later that evening, and so Patsy let the kids play on the carport, and she did what she always does. She set the timer on her oven for 10 minutes, a little trick to remind her to check on the kids just after a while. And when the timer went off, she stuck her head out that door, and there were only two kids on the carport. Jay, the two-year-old, was missing. The, the other two had not seen him disappear. Six and a half acres of lawn and wood surrounded their Bedford, Virginia home, but Patsy's first thought was on the four-lane highway just up the road. And so, in a panic, she rushed there, thinking the worst, but little Jay was nowhere to be found. Tr trying to stifle fears of kidnapping, her first call was to the state police, and her second call was to the Bedford County Sheriff's Department. 
Within 30 minutes, police cars and rescue trucks and over 100 people were in her lawn to help with the search. By 9 o'clock that evening, a helicopter and two bloodhounds had proved ineffective. When her husband, Harold, got home at 11 o'clock, he, he found hundreds of people searching for his lost son. The people were walking hand in hand through the woods in the, the briar-infested terrain looking for that little boy. Uh, some of them had collapsed. Others of them had been cut by briars themselves, but they had not given up. The temperature had dropped down to 65 degrees, but they were still searching for little Jay, the barefoot boy who was last seen only wearing a t-shirt and a pair of shorts. Only one possibility remained. On the other side of the county, there was an old gray-haired woman who owned an air-scenting German shepherd. And they were summoned. At 4.30 a.m., that dog caught the scent, and he ran wildly up the mountainside and barked and would not stop barking until the rescue workers found him. And they saw the German shepherd licking the bleeding feet of little Jay. At the bottom of the mountain, a sea of people were rejoicing and clapping. But nobody was as happy as Patsy Wheat. There is joy in finding the one who is lost. Jesus explained that such joy in finding the lost is the most distinctive characteristic of God himself. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gave for all the ages this description of his heavenly Father. More than anything else, God wants to find lost people. If you have gone away from God, God wants you to come back to him. What else is God like? Well, Jesus gives us three word pictures here to describe what our Heavenly Father is like. He is like a shepherd who will leave 99 sheep in the wilderness to go and find the one who is lost. He is like a woman who will literally turn her house upside down searching for one lost coin. And he is like the Father who will wait patiently for his son who has wandered away to come back home. You see, God seeks those who are lost. And his greatest joy is in their recovery. When you have gone away from God, God gets no pleasure in the emptiness, the isolation, and the lostness of your experience. In fact, the Bible says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. With invisible chains, Jesus is drawing lost people to himself. And in these three stories in Luke chapter 15, Jesus revealed the depths of God's heart. God simply wants you to come back to him. Listen, it doesn't matter why you've left. It doesn't matter why you've wandered away. God loves you, and God is seeking you this morning. Again, Jesus gives us word pictures to show how God is looking for you. Let me begin this morning by talking about the reality of lostness. There is something real about being lost. 
And it's almost a sickening feeling. Have you ever been lost and you realize you're lost? It just kind of makes you nauseated on the inside. There is a realness about being lost. And in verses 1 and 2, Jesus has this encounter, not only with lost people, but those who are complaining that Jesus is seeking lost people. And it's amazing to me that Jesus did not denounce his distractors with anger. Jesus did not speak in an angry way towards the Pharisees and scribes who are complaining that Jesus is seeking lost people. No, by arguing from the lesser to the greater, he pointed out that shouldn't he, as the Son of God, be out looking for lost people just like a shepherd would go look for a lost sheep? And if a peasant woman would turn her house upside down to find a missing coin, shouldn't he, the son of man, turn the accepted order of things upside down in order to find lost people? What did Jesus mean when he described being lost? Well, again, he gave us parables, word pictures, life stories about what it means to be lost. Look at the first story. It's about a lost sheep. And, and listen to this. A sheep is lost through heedlessness. You all know the word heedlessness? It's, it's a nice way to say stupidity. <laughs> a sheep is lost because they're stupid. Here, here's the story, verse number 4. Jesus asked, What man of you having a hundred sheep... If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And he, he then comes home and he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Would you rejoice with me for I have found my sheep, the one sheep that was lost. And I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Again, I would say to you a sheep is lost through its own heedlessness. A sheep doesn't willfully wander from the fold. No, something has to happen to startle the sheep or, or scare the sheep or lead the sheep away. It, it, could be, it could be something as simple as a snake crawling across the ground that frightens the sheep. It, it could be a gap in the wall that causes the sheep to go through it. It could be a stone that falls that frightens the sheep and he runs away. Sheep leave for various reasons, mostly because they're just stupid, <laughs> you know? And here is a flock of 100 sheep. It, that was, really wasn't a normal size flock for just a, an average shepherd. It, more like 15 or 20 for an average guy. This, this guy must have been a, a little bit wealthy. Or maybe he went in with his brothers and they, they, they collaborated and they had a larger flock. But this guy had 100 sheep. 100 of them. And at evening, whether they were in the wilderness or he was back home, he would, he would find some place to gather his sheep. And, and he would always count them right before bed to make sure all of them were there. And this time he only counted 99. And he knew he had a problem. One of his sheep were missing. And every Pharisee that heard this story of Jesus knew that that 
Hebrew shepherd would go out into the wilderness and search for the one missing sheep. And the point Jesus is making is this. Jesus wants us to understand that God seeks lost people even when they are lost through their own heedlessness or carelessness or their own stupidity. And would you agree with me that sometimes we do stupid things? Come on. Maybe that's the reason God called us sheep. We do. We do heedless things. We do stupid things. And sometimes we get really far from God through our own careless, heedless, stupid decisions. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about that 14-year-old kid who experiments with alcohol or drugs for the first time. And after that first drink or that first toke, They're hooked. They didn't mean to be hooked. They didn't mean to turn into an addict. All it took was one drink, but you know what? They find themselves in that way. It was a stupid decision they made at the very beginning. I'm talking about that married person who flirts with passion. It could be in the cubicle next to his, or it could be at the water fountain. And all of a sudden, a gust of unexpected lust overwhelms him, and he not only ruins his own life and his own marriage and his own family, he's ruining somebody else's life. It's all because of a stupid decision. I'm talking about that debt-ridden employee who takes money from the till. Oh, they, they mean to pay it back, but the only way they see out of their own debt is by taking from their boss, and they find themselves in a deep pit. Such people are heedless. They're careless. Can, can I say it this way if I move over here? They're stupid. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all made stupid decisions, not thinking about the consequences And once we get into it, we find ourselves enveloped with it and we can't seem to get out of it. We're lost. We're far away from God. And the point is, God cares about that person. God still loves us. Even though we mess up and we make stupid decisions, God cares for us. And when he sees us a long ways away, he still draws us to himself. Because he wants to have a relationship with us. A coin, on the other hand, is lost through carelessness. Uh, Let's read this parable, verse number 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a candle, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls all of her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the one coin which I lost." Likewise, I say to you, there will be joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the parable of the lost coin, Jesus is continuing the exact same lesson with with several contrasts. There are contrasts between these two parables. Uh, The first parable, we have a man as the central character. Second parable, there is a woman 
as the central character. In the first parable, there is a person of affluence. This man owned a hundred sheep. In the second parable, there's a lady of abject poverty. She only had ten coins. One story happened outside. The other story happened indoors. One involved a living sheep. The other involved an inanimate object, a coin. And the coin in question was a Greek drachma. It was equivalent to a Roman denarius, which was the wage for one day's worth of labor. For a skilled laborer who worked all day, he would be given one Greek drachma. It was literally one-tenth of what this lady owned. But it meant more to her than that. For ladies in Palestine in those days, many of them had ten coins knitted together in a headband that they would wear around their head on special occasions. It was part of her wedding dowry. It was a gift given to her by her family on her wedding day. Her husband owned everything else. The only thing that was her possession was this wedding dowry of ten coins. And now her headband was marred because one of those ten coins was missing. But it was more than just a simple coin. It represented who she was as a person. So you better believe she turned her house upside down <laughs> looking for that lost coin. Right now, around right now, let me just say Sunday mornings, about 40% of Americans are in church. I say about 40%. The number they say is anywhere from 37 to 39%, but let's just say 40%. Now, this is not part of my sermon, but what alarms me about that number is that when I first started ministry back in the 80s, that number was about 60%. In just over 30-something years, the number has dropped from 60 down to 40. With an increasing growing population in America, there are fewer and fewer people who find themselves in God's house on any given Sunday morning. So understand that right now on a Sunday morning, all across America, only about 37% of people find themselves in church. My point is this, what about that other 60% that don't go to church? And what about the kids, the children that belong to those families who never darken the doors of a church. Those children who through no fault of their own never get to go back to a Brother Johnny's Kids Church. They never sit in a Barbara Carter's Sunday school class and get to see the old flannel graphs. I love them, man. They never get to hear Bible stories they're never taught Bible values. They never hear the Ten Commandments. They are never told the things of God. What about those kids? You tell me, does God love them? Is God searching for them? Is the heart of the great shepherd burdened for their souls? Is the great God of heaven looking for them? Jesus said yes. Both the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin point out the value that God places on 
the one, the single, the solitary individual. Whether it's one out of ten or one out of one hundred, God values the one. In contrast to this, most of our lives today are lived in a suffocating depersonalization. Vance Packard called us a nation of strangers. Louise Bernico calls loneliness an American epidemic. Dad, I remember when AT&T came out with the slogan, reach out and touch someone, because we don't touch anymore. Life has become privatized. Really, think about it. Do we even know why we're here or why our neighbor is here? The internet, Facebook, Instagram, and social media means that you can have literally hundreds or thousands of friends, but never have any personal contact with another human being. 7.7 billion people now occupy planet Earth. But this planet is only a speck in the Milky Way. The Milky Way is 100,000 light years across. And yet the Milky Way is only one galaxy among 10 billion other galaxies. And in light of all of this, it makes all the difference in the world that our God is concerned about the one. The single, the solitary person. Jesus Christ dares to say that the God who created all of this universe is out searching for the one. And nothing else brings him the joy that he feels when he finds the lost person. He wants you to come back. Let me talk just a moment about searching for those who leave. Rescue, any kind of rescue, requires thoroughness. Rescue is hard work. It's, it's not easy searching for someone. It's not easy searching for a lost object, is it? It requires, when's the last time you lost your keys? Or your cell phone? Or your kid, <laughs> Right? Rescue requires thoroughness. When the shepherd searches for that one lost sheep, he does not abort or abandon the 99. No, this guy had some under-shepherds with him. Maybe it was his own sons who were out there in the wilderness with the sheep, and he left the rest of the sheep with his sons, the under-shepherds. But it was his passion as the shepherd to find the one lost sheep. It was his mission, his duty, his passion. So there was no mountain high enough, no river wide enough, no crack deep enough that he wouldn't go to find that one lost sheep. He was willing to pay the price if it cost him all night, if it cost him his own life in fighting a, a bear or a lion. He would do it to find the one lost sheep. The story of the lost coin also recall, recalls the thoroughness of the search. This woman lived in a typical Palestinian home of the time. It had no windows. It was a very low door, and it was a dirt floor. Her home was, was so dark, she had to light a candle, it says, just to see 
in order to try to find the coin. She took a broom and swept the dirt floors and in order to see perhaps the, the glisten of the coin against the candle lighter or hear it clink off of some furniture. And her furniture, my lens, she turned it upside down. Her house was a mess. Everything was out of order just to find the one lost coin. Do you see the thoroughness? She was going to tear that house upside down until she found the coin. Nothing else mattered except the coin. How many of y'all remember October 1987? Anybody remember back then? How many of you were not born October 1987? I, th I thought there'd be some of you. Sorry about that. Not only was America, but let me tell you, our nation, our world was riveted on the one. Even as an Iranian missile struck a, an American tanker and the Dow Jones plummeted, our focus was on one little girl in Midland, Texas. Y'all have heard me talk about Midland before. Let me tell you, some weird things can happen in Midland. Are you remembering what I'm talking about? Little girl was Jessica McClure. She was 18 months old. She was at her aunt's house in Midland, Texas, in the backyard, a big backyard. And at the very back of the backyard was this open pipe. It was only eight inches in diameter. Ken, eight inches is that right there. How in the world a little girl, a toddler, call them toddlers, toddler, toddlers. Come on, go with me here. It's what I call them, toddlers. How could an 18-month-old kid fit in a hole like that? I don't know how she did, but she did it. She fell right down that hole. 22 feet, she fell down that pot until she hit a ledge. Wow. Our nation came to a halt. I can remember it. I watched it on TV. I called my granddaddy Whitmire, who still lived in Midland. I said, Whit, have you been over there? He said, yeah, son, I, I went over there to try to help. My dad, granddad had been in construction all of his life. He, he was a big, strong man. He went to try to help. He said, son, I couldn't even get in the backyard. He said, there were people everywhere. Here's what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, son, they're doing everything they can to find that poor little girl and get her out of that hole. The mayor of Midland came on the TV. The chief of police was on the TV. They, they both said, we will spare no expense in getting Jessica out of this hole. And it didn't just become a Midland thing. It was a, it was a Permian Basin thing. And not only the Permian Basin, people came in from all over the world. I mean, they had drilling experts, highway construction equipment, pneumatic drills, special air vents, high-pressure hydraulic drills. And they put forth a Herculean effort in the 58-hour rescue of Jessica McClure. They drilled a separate line that came down parallel with the other one. And there they rescued that little girl. Herculean effort to save one. I want you to look at me. Jesus came to do the same thing. Jesus came to give the greatest gift that has ever been given. The most expensive gift that has ever been issued to mankind. He gave his own life's blood to seek out and to save that which is lost. Let me just back up here right before I finish this thing and, and tell you this. First of all, you've got to realize you're lost. 
you're lost. Without Jesus Christ, we're all lost. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Did you know they, they name every generation? I, have, I had a list of all the generations. I, I erased it from my notes because I thought you might think it was boring. But every generation is given some kind of, of name or code. I'm a baby boomer. And I can remember studying baby boomers because I was one. And, and, and all the church authority, growth authority people said, it's really hard to reach baby boomers because they, they feel alienated from the church and they don't want to have the same religion as their parents. And, and so it's hard to get them into church. Well, you know what? It's that way for every generation. I don't care what you call them. Because the problem is not with the generation, it's with people. People are lost. And it's not a people problem in so much as a heart problem. We're away from God. And even though we know the answer is God and a relationship with him, we don't accept that and we drift away and we try everything this world has to offer. And even sometimes when we've tasted of the good gift of God, we still drift away from him. Guys, let me tell you something. There is something woeful about anything that is lost. And there is also something joyful about the one who is found. Several years ago, six masterpieces from Edouard Villard were torn from their frames in a Paris museum where they had hung since 1913. These paintings were worth over $4 million dollars. So four months later when they were recovered, there was great joy in the art world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that we are God's workmanship. And that word workmanship means a masterpiece. I remember hearing it like this when I was a kid. God doesn't make junk. God wants to turn your life into a masterpiece. My question is, are you a lost masterpiece? If you're lost, it's his passion to find you. I got about three aspects to my invitation this morning. Number one, it's that. If you're lost and without Jesus and without hope, understand that God through an invisible chain is drawing you to himself today. He's looking for you. He loves you. And whether you're lost over your own stupidity or carelessness or whatever the reason is, God wants you to be found. He loves you. Will you accept his gift? For the rest of us who are here and we're saved, we've been found, and we have that relationship with God. Every one of us knows someone who is lost. You know what? We don't have to look very far could be within our own family, could be the people we work with or go to school with or those who live down the road from us. We all know lost people who need Jesus. Jesus is searching for them. Jesus wants them to be found, and he may use us as the locators <laughs> so that they can be found. So would you come this morning and pray for the lost people that God has put in your life? And then there's a third aspect of this invitation. Sinners are lost, but I know a whole lot of saints who are just as far from God. Now, don't get too alarmed or bristled or push me back 
Because there is another parable in Luke chapter 15 about a prodigal son. We all know that story. He took the family inheritance and hightailed it to the big city and wasted his father's inheritance on wild living, right? And he finally came to his senses and came back home. And we rejoice as we look at this one lost son who's back home. Yay, the prodigal came back. But did you know he had a brother who never left home? He stayed right there with daddy the whole time, but he was just as far away in his relationship with the father as the prodigal was. And that tells me that, you know what? You can come to church every Sunday. You can put on the face. You can act the part, but yet you may be far away from God today. God loves you, and he's calling you to come home. So, Heavenly Father,